Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for your grace and mercy. It's so easy to say we are grateful and then not really contemplate what it has taken and what it is that really sustains us. I ask, Father, that as we are in our last study for this evening, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And I ask this not because I am worthy, for I'm far from that. But we ask this because your son has shed his blood for us. And we can't claim that blood, Father. Your word says that we should come boldly to your throne of grace because of what has been done for us. We love you. We ask now for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This evening, we're going to be studying the topic, A Killer's Gospel. If God can save a killer, he can save you. If God can save a killer, he can save you. Now, if you don't know already, just by the picture itself, you have to know that I'm talking about none other than a man named Saul. I want you to notice the conviction, and I've, I've, I've gone through and highlighted just the beginning opening letters of Paul as he is writing to different segments of the church. And most of the letters have a similar greeting. There's about two of them that don't have, three of them that don't have this greeting, but most of the letters have a similar greeting. And I'm going to read them to you in your hearing. In Romans chapter one, Paul writes, and he writes and he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. You see that there? Paul, he gives his name, a servant of Jesus Christ. And that word servant in the, in the Greek indicates slave. He is a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Galatians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle. You see that? Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You can see that Paul is identifying that he has a special calling on his life. He is reverting back to that before he even begins to express whatever is in his letters. Notice this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, how? Through the will of God. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. There it is again. He's, he's, he's referencing this reality that what he's doing in his life is not based on his own decision-making process, is not based on what man has decided for him. He has been called by God, by God's will to do a specific work, to do a specific task for his time. Notice. Again, he writes, Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. That word servant again means slave. He's a slave of Jesus Christ. Notice in Colossians 1.1, it reads, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ 
by the will of God. In 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior. I, I, I hope you start seeing this rhythm. You start seeing the rhythm. You start seeing a pattern. Paul is under supreme conviction. In 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. This conviction runs deep. What is it that happened to Paul that made him so convicted? He writes again in Titus, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, Philemon, uh, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He is captivated. He is captivated. And nearly every letter he writes, he starts out like this. Somebody would say, well, he's just sending a greeting, a salutation. No, my friends, he is letting you know who he is and why he is. And I say, man, this brother must have a serious testimony. Notice you have your Bible. I want you to open your Bible to Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter seven. I want to begin to explore this person. And I know you guys know this guy, but I just found him fascinating as I was reviewing his life. And I thought if we could just understand an inkling of Paul's experience, an inkling of it, we would be so much different as a Christian body. In Acts chapter 7, we are looking at this sermon that is being preached under the power of the Pentecost. And Stephen is preaching, and he's preaching, and when he's preaching, he starts out real nice, you know, he starts reviewing the history of Israel, he starts going through how God has delivered, he starts showing how God is always taking care of his people, he just starts walking through the history of Israel, and he comes to a place while he's under the unction of the Spirit of God, and he comes to a place where his tone switches. He's no longer just telling the history of the church and how God has delivered, so forth and so on, Stephen begins to be provoked by the Spirit, and he says these words under the unction of the Spirit of God in verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Interesting. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Well, he, he, he's laying it on them. He's telling them, you have betrayed our Lord. You have murdered him. Again, the tone switched completely. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, when they heard these things, they were cut to, what's it say, my friends? They were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, listen, you know, when the gospel is preached and the truth is presented in the power of the Holy Ghost, it is not always well received. And the people that are hearing it, they are under such conviction that they become violent and response to it. That's why they had to kill Jesus, because that truth was a revelation of their own condition. They didn't want to hear that. So what do they do, my friends? What do we do sometimes, my friends? We want to put the light out. We want to tell people to stop talking. Don't talk about that. You're, you're, you're meddling. 
You're meddling, Brother Andre. You're meddling, Brother Preacher. You're meddling, Bible worker. You're, you're meddling, Mom and Dad. Don't be in my business. And so what do they do, my friends? It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of, what's it say, my friends? The Holy Ghost. Looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. So here we're introduced to this character. We're introduced to a character named Saul, a young man. He is there as Stephen is being stoned. He is there as what we consider one of the indications of the close of probation for the Jewish nation as they are stoning Stephen to death. And, and Saul is there holding the garments, standing watch as these men take rocks and bludgeon the man of God. And they stone Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I want to tell you something. It's interesting how the spirit of God works. It, you, you could not have watched Stephen be stoned to death with the peace of God upon him and not receive conviction. And Saul, as earnest and as honest as he was, watching this sincere man give his life for what he did not believe in, he's like convicted to another level to the extent that he's like, you know what? I need to snuff this out. This is crazy. He's not knowing exactly what to do with his conviction. So what does he end up doing? Acts chapter eight. The Bible says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Did you guys read that? Yeah, don't, don't gloss over that. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women committed him to prison. Paul is a persecutor and a prosecutor and a killer of God's people. Think about it. Don't, don't gloss over it. This is a killer, brothers and sisters. And he's not just a regular killer. He's not a killer of in like a, a, a mass murderer. He's a killer of God's children. He's a killer of those who are preaching the gospel. He has identified these folks as fanatics and he's all out to exterminate them from existence. So that's why this story is so profound because as he's going about to do this and I'm quite sure people are hearing about him and they're scared to death. They're hiding. But then we get to chapter nine. Now pay attention. Because chapter 9 begins to be so instructive as we learn more about this killer. It says in verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. 
And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. So pause. I want you to think, 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 think. So Paul, for Saul, he literally got official documents. He was on a mission to go and gather more Christians to put them in bondage and possibly put them to death. Now, my friends, understand the mindset. Understand the mindset, the conviction of his religious experience, the conviction of his moorings. He is ready to die for what he believes. The thing is, he just believes the wrong thing. And I love God. I mean, there's something special here because I, if you if you read this story, why would God have to show up to this man? Why did God particularly show up to this man of all the men that were doing the persecuting and prosecuting? Why this man? Notice. As the light shines about him, verse four says, and he fell on the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. <laughs> and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, I don't know about you, friends. Here from the perspective now i'm i'm from the perspective of a christian i don't know about paul's con or saul's conversion i'm not aware of this experience that he's having on the road to damascus and this brother is about to to have an encounter with another brother who has no idea of what just transpired and this is why it's so important brothers and sisters especially in these last days to be connected with the most high because here's a brother and we're going to read about him Verse 10, and now we know that Saul does not eat or drink for three days. And verse 10 says, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city, into the street, which is, which is called straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth. Now again, this is the type, you know, brothers and sisters, I, I am of the of the mindset that there is not a different God then than there is now. The same God that was then is the same God that's now. In the same way that God wants to communicate with his children, then God wants to communicate with us now. How often has it been that you have been in prayer and God has interrupted and you have spoken back to God and God has spoken back to you and given you specific instruction for your day? Specific people that you need to go visit. Specific people that you need to call. God speaks to his children even today. And God interrupts Ananias as he's in prayer. And God tells him there's another brother that's in prayer. He needs to know about the truth. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. There are many who are desiring to know God. And God is looking high and low for believers who know him like they're supposed to know him to send them to their house. I believe in these last days, there are many Saul's out there in every denomination, in every ilk. I believe there are Saul's even now may be listening to what I'm saying to you, even as I preach. I believe there are many who are truly seeking God, but have but have, have misnomers and misunderstandings and mixed characterizations of God. And they just 
need to hear from a true believer. Think about it. God got the attention of Saul before Ananias goes to his house. God is always working, brothers and sisters. He's always doing his job. Where are we? What are we doing? We're talking about the killer's gospel because this is good news for, for Saul. He, is, he has been persecuted and prosecuting and, 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 and causing havoc upon the church of God. And God still calls him. You know, I, as I peruse the scriptures, I often think if, if David was a member of the church today, you guys would never let him preach. <laughs> you hear me? We, we would never let David preach. My man committed adultery committed murder he lying to priests he getting folks killed we would never let that man preach were it not for grace y'all hear what i'm saying i think many have forgotten the gospel and we have set to judge amongst ourselves uh, and and not hearing the voice of god speak to us somebody said well that brother did xyz five thousand years ago or two years ago or three years ago he should never be in the pulpit based on what he should never be given Bible studies based on what? If the grace of God has captured a man's heart and he has been changed from the inside out, who are you? Somebody says, well, he needs a year. Paul, he needs a year to get his life together before he can preach about God. Let's read what the Bible says. Watch what the Bible says. And the Lord said unto him, arise, go into the street, which is called straight, inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth. And have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Mercy. Then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard. Listen, Ananias, he didn't just jump up. He's like, I heard about this dude. I have heard by many of this man how much evil he have done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he have authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he is, listen to what he, the Bible says, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Don't miss that. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Man. I think, you know what, when you guys are done, when you have opportunity, go back and just meditate on those, those last two verses, 15 and 16. Just think about what the Lord just said. I have chosen him as a vessel to myself. Go to him. I want you to go to him. I don't care what you heard about him. I want you to go to him. I have chosen him, not just for small potatoes, man. I've chosen him to be a preacher to the Gentiles, a preacher to kings, and a preacher to the children of Israel. I have chosen him myself. So now you understand. Now you understand when when you read Paul's writings and every time he starts his letter, he says, chosen by God, called by God, chosen as 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 an ambassador, blah, blah, blah. He's listing these things, not because he's he's being prideful. No, he's remembering what, from whence he has been called. He's remembering who called him. Therefore, based on my calling, based on the instruction that I've received from above, I declare unto you X, Y, Z in this letter. X, Y, Z in this sermon. I have not been called by man, he says. I've been called by God. Mercy. 
Where are the convictions of the people of God today? We are afraid. We are afraid to declare the realities of who we are. We have lost our identity. Paul knows exactly who he is. He's been called by God. Paul, an apostle, called by God. By God's will. Mercy. I want you to go a little further. You see in, in Acts chapter 26, I wrote part of that up there, but I want to I want to read the whole thing to you in Acts chapter 26. Look at this. Acts chapter 26. And 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 now Paul begins to rehearse his conversion. He begins to rehearse the experience that he's had with God. And he begins to say this. And watch what he says. And when he and when we were all fallen fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue. So God spoke Hebrew <laughs> to Saul. Because Saul can speak several languages, but he spoke Hebrew to him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, unto, And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou, what's it say? Whom thou persecutest. Now, someone's going to watch this video. Someone's going to watch this video who is not a believer. Somehow, some way, this video is going to find its place to an unbeliever. And the unbeliever who's watching the video is someone who mocks God who mocks the word of God, who mocks the people of God. And I want you to notice that when you mock the people of God and you uh, 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 persecute the people of God, you're not persecuting us. Not us alone, you're persecuting Jesus. When you speak against the truth of God, you're speaking not against us alone. You're speaking against the most high. You're speaking against Jesus. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you represent? Understand, brothers and sisters, we are a special people. An ecclesia, a called out people out of darkness into marvelous light. I am Jesus who now persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. What's the purpose? To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. God gave him instruction. I've called you. I've called you to preach. I've called you to go to the Gentiles. I've called you to be amongst them. I've called you to endure persecution for my name's sake. Think about this, brothers and sisters. There was no long dissertation. There was no long Bible study given. Saul was already in his heart of hearts desiring to do the right thing, but he just didn't know God enough. And God just said, let me just show up a little bit. Shows up. Correction. Now this man becomes a mighty powerhouse for God. Now I want to read to you the book of Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Watch this. Watch this. We're talking about the killer's gospel. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And I want to read verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. It's Paul, an apostle, not of men, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He said, I'm called not by nobody else but God. 
And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you in peace from God the Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Interesting. According to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He said it one time, now watch this. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed, whether it be an angel or another man, or if it be myself coming to say something different, he says, let them be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Am I preaching to please men or am I preaching to please God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brother, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men now watch what he does watch what he does he says the gospel that's preached of me i'm preaching to you not from some theorem i got from some school not from some university i didn't get it from a seminary i didn't sit under peter james and john i didn't sit under those men to come up with this gospel the gospel that i'm preaching unto you is a gospel that i have experienced and i have been taught by god himself watch watch what he says but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. Verse 12 now. For I neither received it of man, neither was taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Tell me something. Tell me something. Tell me something. Do you think that your ability to understand the gospel comes because you listen to preachers? Hmm? Your ability to understand the gospel. Do you think it's because you sat in class and you learned Greek and Hebrew? The gospel is a revelation. It is not a theory alone. It is not a theological ascent. It is not an argument to be had. It is an experience. Paul says, I, I didn't get this from men. I didn't sit under anybody. For ye have heard of my conversion in time past in the Jewish religion. Pay attention. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. And this is why, brothers and sisters, you can't, let me say this kindly. Whatever religious persuasion that you find others to be in, it is not to condemn those others, brothers and sisters. That's not, that is not the position of the Advent movement, and that's not the position of Christ. The the position is we have something good. We have something better. They don't know. We presented the gospel as an argument for so long. We have forgotten about the experience. And Paul now is having an experience and he's telling people, look, I didn't get this from no man. I didn't get this from school. I learned this by revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, I used to persecute and prosecute. I used to lie. I used to steal. He's giving you a list of what he used to be. 
Listen, and sometimes, let me just say this, sometimes, sometimes the argument alone is not going to get the, the, the unbeliever. It would be the demonstration. It would be the manifestation of God to provoke a stopping of the, 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 the intensity in the religious activity. Hmm. I hope that makes sense. It says in verse number 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, when it pleased God. In other words, God took his time. He was waiting for the right time when it pleased God to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And the other apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterward, I came to the regions of Syria and Sicilia. But they heard only that which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. Stop. The one that persecuted in time past now now preaches the faith which he once destroyed. Listen, listen to this, brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm going to tell you something else about the gospel. First Corinthians chapter six. Go there with me. This Paul, this is Paul's gospel. This is this is the the, the killer's gospel. First Corinthians chapter six. I want us to begin reading in verse number nine. Watch this. First Corinthians chapter six, beginning at verse number nine. The Bible says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Do you hear that list? Did you hear that list? Bad people aren't going to heaven. Liars, cheaters, adulterers, the fornicators, idolaters, abusers, homosexuality. None of that is getting into the kingdom of God. But watch what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. <laughs> Did you hear it? Did you hear it? He said, and such were some of you. He didn't say, and such are some of you. He didn't say, you guys are still in the, that mire of that mess. He says, such were some of you. What happened? What happened, Paul? What do you think transpired, Paul? The Bible says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And such were some of you. You see, you see, my friends, as he's going through that list, he's 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 dropping each 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 of the categories. He's walking through the works of the flesh. He says, and then he says, and such were some of you. You can see he was saying the same thing about himself. I persecuted and prosecuted. I, I caused havoc on the church more than any other. That's why you read later when he starts talking about, he says, I am the chief of sinners. He's recognizing his utter ugliness. Let me tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes God will allow you to expose your ugliness in order for you to recognize your great need. You see, my friends, when somebody tells you a false gospel, and I hear what the false gospel would sound like. False gospel would be like, 
uh, Jesus loves you and you just keep sinning, you know, just keep doing those bad things, you know, and God still loves you. He understands. Let me tell you something. God does understand. He understands that we are sick. He understands that we have a sinful condition and a sinful heart. And unless he comes in himself and changes us and molds us and fashions us, we will be lost in our sins. But praise God for Jesus. Huh? Because what Jesus does, he says, I see you. I see where you are. I'm going to chase after you when you don't even know you need to be chased. Huh? He lets you go through your mess so you can recognize sometimes, brothers and sisters, we're stubborn. We're so stubborn. The way God spoke to Paul, to Saul, he said, why do you kick against the pricks? Why are you being so hard headed? God had to allow the, the ugliness of, of Saul to be exposed so he can learn to accept the grace of God as it was given. Where are you and I falling short, brothers and sisters? Have you really accepted that there is nothing good inside of you? That there's nothing that you have to offer God except a broken heart? That you have nothing to offer him except a broken spirit. And upon that broken heart and broken spirit, now God can work. But the more you think you're all put together, the more you think your culture of Adventism is good or the culture of your Christianity is what's getting you to heaven, the more you think your culture saves you, the more damned you are in the eyes of God. Did you hear what I said? There is no good thing in us. There is nothing we have to offer that God says, well, good old, good old Andre, that, 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 that disciplined uh, sleeping habit he has, that has earned him credit in the kingdom of God. No, my friends, if I have good sleeping habit, habit, that's his sleeping habit. It's not mine. If I have good eating habits, that's his good eating habit, not mine. If you think I preach nice, pr I'm praying for you because I need Jesus, just like everybody else. There's a good word that comes. It comes down from the father of lights of whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There is no good in any of us save Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, he says, I glory. I don't glory in I was beaten and shipwrecked and preached here and preached there. I can only glory in the cross. That's it. Nothing good in me. I, nobody needs to give me a round of applause for being a, a decent person on planet Earth. I, I need Jesus just like every other soul. You need Jesus. And we need him more than what we think we know, need him. Because if you, if, if you stop breathing for a few seconds, a few minutes, you start, you start having these intense desires to breathe because you can't live without breathing, right? But Jesus, we give him the Sabbath. That's, he gets that. We might get a little devotion here and there. I mean, does he have everything? That's the question. That's, that's the only question I'm asking right now. I'm asking, does Jesus have everything? Does he have everything? Does he have your number one love? Does he have your number one passion? Does he consume you? Do you love to talk about him more than anything else? Do you love to talk about his creation? Do you love to talk about how he's worked out these finances in your life, how he's worked out the health in your life, how he's blessed your family? Are you giving glory to God? Or are you worshiping the blessings that God gives you over the God of the blessing? I'm just asking questions. You see, if God can save a killer, then God can save a fornicator. 
Hmm? If God can save an adulterer, then God can save you. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. The thing is, is he's calling you today, then you need to come to him straight away. Don't don't hesitate. Don't wait. I mean, this, there's no there's no to me. This is not, not some deep doctrine that needs to be unearthed. This is the simplicity of the gospel. We have lost ourselves in the miasma of work and play. We've lost focus of God. We've imbibed the spirit of the politicians of this day. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, after all these years of being in the I have never seen us so plagued as I see us plagued today. We have lost sight of the power of the gospel. Now we are now using the tactics of the world to advance the, uh, the kingdom of the most high. We have lost our minds. If God wanted to use the politicians of this world to finish the work, he would have become a politician when he came. Hear me? I said finish the work. I'm not saying you can't go into work and do a good civil service. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about finishing the work. I'm talking about the majority of your energy where it should be placed. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you can't be a mayor. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's not going to solve our problem. That's what I am saying. You can't jump on a political party and think, what, 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 what is going on? It's like I went to sleep and I woke up in a twilight zone. The people of God have forgotten who they are. We have forgotten that we are Christians. We have forgotten. And now we're seeking the arm of the state to strengthen us instead of the arm of the most high. I need Jesus, don't you? I need Jesus, brothers and sisters. I need Jesus. He says, and such were some of you. That means you're no longer like this anymore. The power of the gospel has transformed the life. Time is fleeting. This is from Ministry of Healing, page 363, paragraph one. This, the, Bible, the, the, the book says, <laughs> the book says, the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Well, how so? It's instruction heated would make plain many a perplexity and save us from many an error. It teaches us to estimate things at their true value and to give the most effort to the things of greatest worth. Are you, here? Are you hearing it? The thing that will endure. That is what simplifies the complexity of the confusion that Babylon has brought amongst us. The gospel is most important. Listen, before you go to sleep tonight, you need to make sure that your soul is right with God. When you wake up in the morning, you need to make sure that your soul is right with God. As you walk through the day, you need to make sure that you are communing with the most high and your fellowship with them is sweet. As you go out throughout the day, you need to make sure that as you're interacting with others, that you truly are the salt of the earth and that you are the light of the world and that God can demonstrate his character through you in this world. You, when you go across the way and you see somebody 
suffering, you're not going to say to them, you know what, the 2300 day prophecy is what, no, that's not what you're going to say when you see them suffering. What you're going to do, the Christian looks to alleviate the suffering of humanity. And then only then, once they have won the confidence of others, then they will say, follow me. Let me explain to you what's happening in the most holy place. Let me explain to you what's happening in the heavenly sanctuary above where God is making the final work to finish the issue of sin and bring restitution to all that has been done wrong. Only then as we are amongst the people of God and the gospel is demonstrated, then the world can say, you know what? I see, I see, I see it. I see the gospel in them. I see that they have been with Jesus. This work will not finish by preaching. No, no. This work will be finished by a deep, passionate love for other people, which we don't have. It's not natural. But like Paul, some of us will be knocked off our horses. And we will encounter Jesus like we've never encountered him before. And when God says, I have called you to go to the Gentiles, I have called you to go to a foreign land, I have called you to stand before kings, we will heed that call because we recognize the power of encountering love like we've never encountered before. My time is nearly done. Now, listen, you know Isaiah chapter 6. It's not the intent of my uh, initially to go there, but in Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah sees the, the throne of God high and lifted up and the angels are there and the, the glory of God is filling the temple. And he literally, as he sees God, he sees within himself nothing good. And he says, I am an unclean man. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He begins to, 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 to hate himself because now the reality of what he is is being exposed by the glory of what God is. And as God is being glorified and he is being exposed, he's like, I got to go hide somewhere. This is not good for me. And then the most high does something special. The most high is awesome. God is awesome. Let me tell you, he's so good. The most high does something special. He takes a live coal off the altar. An angel of the Lord comes and takes a live coal. That means it's hot. <laughs> he takes the coal off the altar and he puts it on the lips. Now the lips is tender, man. Now that this stuff right here, this is tender. You need a weather change. The lips get all cracked up. Drink water. You know, it's a tender spot. He's taking a live coal, a hot coal off the altar and he puts it on the lips. Why the lips? Well, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a symbol, right? It's a symbol of God purifying a man as he's standing in the presence of God. Stay in the presence of God, brothers and sisters. Don't run. Don't hide. Stay there. And as God, as you're in the presence of God, God will take his live coal and purify and cleanse you. So that symbol is a cleansing of the heart. And as he's standing there, brothers and sisters, the, uh, 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 Isaiah, he says, he's, he, the Lord's like, well, who will go for me? Who shall I send? And I can imagine God being very big. This is my imagination. Now, God being very, very, very big and Isaiah being very, very, very small. And God is kind of just looking over Isaiah's head. And Isaiah, he, he's like jumping up and down. Lord, send me. <laughs> Look, I'll go. I'll go. Hmm. The interesting part about that, that story if you read it all the way through, in fact, go there very quickly. Hold, go there very quickly. Look at this. Isaiah 6, look at this. The, the interesting thing about this call is Isaiah has this, this 
experience. He says, I'll go, right? Verse number, verse 8, let's get verse 8. It says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. Now, what kind of mission is that? Go preach, but they aren't going to hear you. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make, listen, listen to the instruction. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And what's it say? And convert and be healed. Preach. But as you preach, the hearts will harden. As you preach, they will close their ears. As you preach, they will not want to hear what you have to say because they love their sin. Look at the answer here. Look, look at the next part, verse 11. This to me was one of the most solemn passages I've ever read. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long am I supposed to preach to a people like this? How long am I supposed to, 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 to try to express the gospel and get them to understand that they need to repent and turn from this? How long am I supposed to do this? The answer. And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. The Lord said, Isaiah, I want you to preach. I want you to preach that until there's nothing, until there's nobody. Until I, until there's not, until there's, just keep preaching. Man, what kind of task is that? I know when I first, you know, believe it or not, preaching was not what I wanted to do. Teaching the Bible is not, was not in my cards that I, I didn't want these cards. These cards were given to me. But there's something special when you fall in love with Jesus, right? I remember I remember clearly the day that I made the commitment to preach the gospel. And I remember it being so clear because it was on that day, it was a Sabbath, that I was that day initially started in great sorrow. I was, I was in great tears because it felt like my family was being destroyed. And I couldn't for the life of me understand or grapple with it. And as I prayed the prayer, I asked God to do something special for my parents. I said, Father, I said, this pain is too much. I said, either A, you bring my mom and dad back together, or B, you give me what the Bible says is peace that passes all understanding, either one of the two. But if you don't do that, I, can't, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to survive. And brothers and sisters, I tell you the truth. I lie not to you. On that Holy Sabbath, the Spirit of God rested upon me, and I felt peace that passed all understanding. It made no sense the situation had not changed at all. I was, in, I was in great sorrow. I was crying my eyes out. And as I was there on my knees in the front of that church, crying out to God, the spirit of God rested upon me and the peace that passed all understanding came upon me. And I was there and I was like, but what is this? I said, if this is what the Bible's talking about, then for sure I will preach this until Jesus comes because it doesn't make sense to me. I, I should not feel this way. What has changed? Nothing has changed except the experience with the Most High. The Most High came near to me, brothers and sisters. And the Most High wants to come near to you even today. 
Some of you are dealing with some serious things. Some of you who are going to be listening to this are dealing with some serious things. And the Most High wants to come near to you to deliver you, yes, from that situation. But more than that, he wants to give you peace in your heart, peace in your mind, peace in your soul. Do you think Paul was running around uh, concerned and guilty for the things that he'd done? Nope, nope, not anymore. No, he gave it everything to the Lord. The Lord had called him, set him aside for a, a purpose. My man said, I'm happy to be a slave for God. Wherever the Lord sends me, if he sends me to prison, I'm good. If he wants me to go on a ship to some foreign land, get crashed in the middle of the sea, come up on the land and get bit by a serpent, I'm good. I'm in jail. I start singing with my man. We start singing. The whole place comes breaking down and I still won't go nowhere. Or wait for the guard to come. You follow? Like he is so in love with God. That wherever God called him, that's where he went. Talk about the killer's gospel. You can call it the, the fornicator's gospel, too. You can call it the homosexual's gospel. You can call it the, the drug addict's gospel. You can call it the proud man's gospel because at every level, at every issue that exists, God can and will deliver if you let him deliver you. God can and will deliver if you let him deliver you. He wants you to come out of darkness into marvelous light. And today, he wants to encounter with you. He wants you to have an encounter with him. Do you want that encounter? I know I want that encounter. I know today has been a rich day for me. I mean, I've been in the word all day. <laughs> all day. In fellowship with the Most High. God wants to fellowship with you. Will you have that encounter with him? Will you allow him to come near to you? Even though you may not feel it, even though you may still be in rebellion, will you allow him to come near to you? Because you can't change yourself. No, 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 no. You, Brothers and sisters, you cannot change yourself. I want to end with this quote. I have so much more on the screen, but I don't want to do any of this else on the screen. This quote came to mind and I need to stop. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. This is from a book called Christ's Object Lessons. And it's page 159. Listen to this. It says, no man can of himself understand his errors. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Jeremiah 17, 9. The lips may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. The lips may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. While speaking to God of poverty of spirit, the heart may be swelling with the conceit of its own superior humility and exalted righteousness. Mercy. And it said, well, it said while talking to God, it wasn't like talking to your friend. It says while talking to God, the heart may be swelling. Telling God, I'm, I'm, I'm so humble, Father, please. You know, and the Lord's, the Lord's looking beyond that. He sees the reality of the heart. He's like, no, nah, you need help. So what is the cure for this? In one way only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. Well, what way is that? We must behold Christ. That's it. 
In one way only. What way? We must behold Christ. Wait, you're not beholding the preacher? You're not beholding the hypocrisy in the church? You're not beholding your mom, your dad? You're not, you're not referencing your past history? No. In one way only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. We must behold Christ. It is ignorance of him that makes men so uplifted in their own righteousness. This is what's happened with Paul. He's out there persecuting the prosecuting. He thought he was righteous until he beheld Christ. <laughs> it is ignorance of him that makes men so uplifted in their own righteousness. When we contemplate his purity and excellence, we shall see our own weakness and poverty and defects as they really are. We shall see ourselves lost and hopeless, clad in garments of self-righteousness like every other sinner. Wait, what is every other sinner? You know, the ones that we look down on, you know, those people. I don't need to go through a list. You know who you look down on? Those people, the ones that you're better than, those people. But when we see Christ the way we're supposed to, we'll see ourselves lost and hopeless like every other sinner. So I'm not better than the Jehovah Witness. I'm not better than a Baptist. I'm not just because of my denomination. That denominational arrogancy is one of the worst sins we could have. When we contemplate his purity and excellence, we shall see our own weakness and poverty and defects as they really are. We shall see ourselves lost and hopeless, clad in garments of self-righteousness like every other sinner. We shall see that if we are ever saved, it will not be through our own goodness, but through God's infinite grace. Mercy. I praise God for that. I want to skip down to paragraph three and we'll call it a night. No outward observance can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of self. But no man can empty himself of self. Now you begin to understand Paul a little bit now. His encounter, his, his constant realization that he is nothing. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me from my Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. Do you want to make that your prayer tonight? I want that. I, I desire that. More of Jesus, less of me. There's a song that I'm reminded of, and I don't know if I know all the words, but it says, more about Jesus, I would know. More of his grace to others show. You know that song? That should be our heart's cry, brothers and sisters. More about Jesus. Tell me more about him. And the more we see of him, the less we will see to exalt in ourselves. And the more we see Less to exalt in ourselves, the more we'll point, point people to Jesus and the only solution to life's problems, the more loving we'll become, the more patient we'll become, 
Can you imagine someone spits on you? You don't get mad. Well, why wouldn't you get mad? Because you would have spit on yourself. Because within you is the same darkness. You recognize a word not for the grace of God. You would be doing the same exact thing. There's nothing to give glory in ourselves to, brothers and sisters. All glory to Jesus Christ. All glory to him. If it's your desire to have a rich, deep encounter with God, that he changes you from the inside out, why don't you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Father, along the way, we have lost sight of you. We become zealots and zealous for the truth. We have lost sight of the one who is is the embodiment of truth itself. Please, Lord, forgive us for our self-righteousness in whatever form it may have presented itself in. Help us to see more of Jesus and less of this world. We love you, Father. We beg of you to teach us to love you more than anything else that we encounter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.